we're going to go through a, an, another part of the sanctuary. Now, some of you were with me this morning, and we um, opened up the idea that the sanctuary was a timeline dealing with Earth's history. We talked about how the sanctuary be, um, had a daily service and had a yearly service. And we mentioned how the daily service, would, they would do it every single day, and then they would have at the end of that year what is called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And we basically, as we were discovering this, this um, earlier today, we, we mentioned that each um, part of the sanctuary, Jesus came to, to this earth and went back to heaven to fulfill the work that was being done in each part of the sanctuary. We even saw how Jesus left heaven, he came to this earth, and he was born in Bethlehem. And we went through each piece of furniture showing that the work that they did in the courtyard was exactly what Christ came to, uh, to do. And it was pointing forward to that. And um, so now the, uh, the, the second part of this is man's walk through the sanctuary. So we have seen Jesus' walk through. Now we're going to look at man's walk through. Um, if you would know, remember, God created man in his image and in his likeness, okay? They had the character of God. You and I, if we were Adam or Eve, we would have been able to stand face to face with God. But when sin came in, something happened to Adam and Eve. There was one thing in particular, visibly, that was noticeable. And you will notice that the, when um, Eve and Adam sinned, they lost their covering that they had, their clothing. That was the character they had um, of God, the symbol of God's character. And you'll see in just a moment, okay? So what I want to share with you is this. What they did is much like you and I, what we do today. You see, so often we don't understand how God has planned to separate us from sin. We think of it as something that we must do to fix the problem. But the problem is, sin is not a problem that you can fix. Sin is something we have done, yes. But you can't solve the problem that you have done. God has to solve it. You will notice that... Um, when their eyes are open and they, they saw that they were naked, that they ran and they grabbed these leaves and then they made for them clothing. So we're looking at clothing representing character. So let's examine this. They had God's character. They lost it. So now they're, they have to fix the problem. So they run and they grab these leaves and they cover the problem. They're no longer naked, but it didn't solve the problem. And that's what happened when Jesus comes on the scene? When they come on the scene, God asks them, he says, um, about what they have done. And they basically explain and, and they talk about the sin problem, about, about what Satan had done through the serpent and this sort of thing. And then God um, um, gave to Adam and to Eve, according to Genesis chapter 3, 21, he gave them skins of an animal. That is exactly what I want us to look at dealing with our sin problem we have. What was it that God truly gave Adam and Eve using those skins? 
If you remember, when John sees Jesus, he calls Jesus a lamb, correct? The lamb was the symbol that they used in the sanctuary to do all the, 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 the killing to represent that one time Christ was going to come and die. So John looks at the lamb and says, I mean, Jesus says, there's that lamb. That's what he says when he, when he looked, points at Jesus. This is found in John chapter 1, 29. And you will notice that in Revelation 13, 8, there's reference to a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So I want you to picture this with me, right? Picture with me Adam and Eve and their problem they have. They had lost God's character and they cannot fix it themselves. God says that does not work. He takes the skins of an animal and he puts it around Adam and Eve. Now, what did he tell them? By taking the skins and placing it around them, it was a symbol of the character, the clothing of that lamb, which represented Christ, the character of Christ. Do you see what I make sure that I did not miss uh, lose anybody in this? The lamb was a symbol of Christ. The clothing of the Lamb was the symbol of the clothing of Christ, which is Christ's character. So they take the skins of that Lamb and place it on Adam and Eve. Yes, you've messed up. But I promise you by putting these skins on you, I will give it back to you again. But now we've got to put some other things into motion here. We've got to send Christ down and take the place of man so that man can have that back again. So that's what you see taking place in the sanctuary. When we looked at that this morning where Christ came and actually died, and now we're going to look at how it affects you and I. In fact, if you would, um, if you would look in Isaiah 46, verse 6, this is, you, as you're looking at these different verses, they're all going to intertwine among themselves, okay? It goes and says, But we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. That's the character we have. That's our clothing. There's we, anything that we do, it's, not, it's, it's as filthy rags. It has to be something that God is going to do for us. So you'll notice that things start to look a little bit grim as we look at the next few verses. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. But remember, when God created Adam and Eve, they had all of that. They, there was nothing wrong with Adam and Eve. But when sin came in, it sent them down this road. Sin was going to cause them death. And so what was going to happen was the, the sanctuary is going to teach us the love of God, okay? And in Ecclesiastes 7.20 it says, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. In other words, what I'm trying to say, for all, according to Romans, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So let's just stop right there and ask ourselves this question. The Bible is telling me that God created man perfect in his image and his likeness. When they lost the character, the Bible is telling me you can't fix it. I have to fix it. God's the one that has to fix the problem. No matter what you do, it's still like filthy rags. And so, and it says that everybody has sinned. Then it goes on to say that there was a wage for sin. 
Now, most of you have had some type of a job at some point in your life and you have earned paychecks. It's yours. You've earned it. Go get it, cash it. There is a wage for our sin and it's death. And I don't want to cash it. I don't want it. Just what Jesus is saying. You don't have to die. I will die for you. You're in that condition, but now look. He doesn't leave us there. There's nothing that we can do to fix it except allow Christ to do it for us. Now, the rest of that verse in 623 is actually a positive note. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Jesus' death was a gift for you and me. A gift is something that we can have if we accept it. Okay? It's not something that you've earned. All right, moving on. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Now, it's starting to bring us into the courtyard, okay? We are now on our way back to the sanctuary. God's way is in the sanctuary. We're dealing with the sanctuary. And the first thing that you see when you come to the sanctuary is going to be that gate. And at that gate, you are going to see a priest waiting at the gate. And you would be leaving your tent from about two-thirds of a mile from the sanctuary. So there's an empty spot as you're walking toward the sanctuary. And so people would see you coming. You would be, be seen by the priest as you're coming to the sanctuary, okay? Now listen to what it says in Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. Dealing with the lamb's skin again. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is going to take what our righteousness is and fix it and make us back into his image again. But he's saying, come now and let us reason together. So it's, it's a call for us to come. So I want you to picture that you're walking toward the sanctuary to come ask for forgiveness for sins that you have committed. Okay? First um, John 1 9 says this if we confess our sin did you see the two-lettered word if if we confess our sin then it says he that's the he is God he is faithful and just to forgive it so for for when you for confess the sin when you confess that sin you are confessing it to God and he is faithful and he is just um, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's actually quite positive. It's confessing. Now, some of you um, are married. That I can see they're here. Some of you are single. Some, but all of you have someone you love. It may be a parent. It may be a, a child. It may be a spouse. There's somebody you love and there's somebody that you have done something wrong in your lifetime. And you had, when you did something wrong to them, did you not want to make it right? Wasn't it something that burned within you to, to come to that person you love and say, I am really sorry for what I have done? That is the relationship God wants with you. When you find yourself doing something against God, you should feel like you want to ask Him to, to forgive you for it. It isn't something that you must do. It's something that you want to do. Does that make sense to anybody? 
That's what I want. That's the relationship God wants. But if you come and you ask and be forgiven, you are going to be forgiven. Understand, this is something God has promised, okay? So when we look at the sanctuary, now this picture here is the courtyard. Now you'll notice the first piece of furniture as you walk through the gate is going to be the altar of sacrifice. Then the next piece of furniture would be the laver where the washing takes place. And then you move into the sanctuary. Okay, so as you're moving in, you are walking toward the east gate. Okay, the, the gate is on the east side, so you're moving west. And you've come in for a reason. You would have selected a lamb. You would have come because you recognized you had broken the law of God. And you, you were coming to ask to be forgiven. Okay? So that would take place there upon the north side of the sanctuary. Now, what I want to do is throw a little story in that you know. This story is called the story of the prodigal son. I would like for you to look at the same thing I just told you about the sanctuary in that particular story. This prodigal son, this young man comes to his father and he says, I want the inheritance and I want it now. His father hadn't died yet. The inheritance was going to be his after he died, but he wanted it now. So what happened was the father gave him his inheritance and the son went away to a far land. And when he was out there, he used the money for all kinds of things, riotous, li riotous living, and these kind of things that he was doing. And then something took place out there where he was at. There was a, the Bible refers to it as a famine in the land. The famine took place and things went sour for him. He had lost all of his money and now he could not even find a job and food that he could eat normal food anymore. His friends were all gone because his money was all gone. Then he finds himself feeding pigs. Now, you got to remember the stories being told here in the scriptures dealing with the Jews and the pigs was an unclean animal. So this story would have made it, this would give the indication he has gone as far as he possibly can go. He's not only feeding the pigs, he's eating what the pigs are eating. While he's there, he's thinking about home. He's gone as far as he could away from God, from his father. Now he's thinking about his father and he says, you know what? I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to ask him to be one of his servants because I, I saw how he treated his servants he says, I can't be his son anymore because of what I've done, but I will come back and be one of the hired hands. So this is where I want you to pick, pick the story up in the scriptures. Now you'll find this in Luke chapter 15, verse 18. And he, the young man says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Going on in verse 19, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. Okay, now verse 20 is now he has set in his heart already these things. Now he's moving on the action. And he arose and he came to his father. But remember I told you the sanctuary was set up in such a way that the gate was there and the priest was at the gate. And when the people would cross that open space, you would see them coming. Now look at the picture and the imagery here. It says that the father, uh, was, uh, when he saw him, he saw that he was a long way off. 
His father saw him, had compassion, and he ran out to where he was at. He didn't even wait till he got to the, to the house or to the gate. He ran out there to where he was at. He falls on him by giving him a hug and he kisses him. And then you notice what he says. Now this, this is actually the son, verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more long, longer worthy to be called thy son. Now, in verse 22, the father ignores what his son has said to a certain degree. The father looks and he says to the servant, bring forth the best robe. Now, what did we say that clothing was a symbol of? Character. So do you see what's happened? We're looking at the sinner coming back to the Father. He hasn't done anything to make it right. He confessed it, and then all of a sudden comes the robe. The man is still filthy and dirty, but he's got this robe wrapped around him. Now, I want you to visualize this because it goes on to say, and he put on, his, uh, put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, the ring was signifying that he was a part of the family. Then he brings them in and he says this, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us be merry. Interesting. Because we have the, in the sanctuary, the sinner would bring with him his offering. The offering of a calf would be for royalty. It would be for the priest. And you'll notice that the father says, kill the fatted calf. This is all that takes place before you get to the altar sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, if you can see the imagery that I'm trying to say, there's nothing you and I are going to do to fix the problem we're in. It has to be what the Father does in heaven for us. They, when the Father greets the Son, just remember, you and I are His sons and daughters. You know, we may not even recognize that. We may not even think about how, how close a daughter and a son would be to a father. But that's who you are. And so, yes, we have had many problems in our lives and made many mistakes. But God says, come now, come on in and let us reason together. So when you look at the courtyard, that's the symbol of earth itself. So when we examine the furniture in the courtyard, that's the furniture you and I have access to here upon this earth. So when we look at these pieces of furniture, we look at the imagery of the sanctuary, this is where our walk begins with God. The first thing is we're way out there when we recognize we have a need for the Father. Then when we feel like we have a need for Him, we want to come back and we want to ask to be forgiven for that sin. And the moment we have done that and we're on our way back, Someone meets us and covers us right there before we came in and killed the fatted calf. That just doesn't make sense to man's rationale. How come God is going to do that for me and I haven't even 
come in and kill the calf yet. I haven't done this yet. I haven't done that yet. It was because your heart, in your heart, you wanted it to be right with God. Now God and Jesus will take care of cleaning you up. That's the way the sanctuary is set up, and we'll see as we move on. Okay? Now, Isaiah 59, verse 2, says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. So in other words, your sin and my sin have separated us. So therefore, looking at the sanctuary, there's going to be... Um, now, you remember when Jesus dies, he sends the, the, um, the Holy Spirit down here to this earth to be our comforter? Okay? So I want you to visualize the Holy Spirit working in your heart. And the Holy Spirit's job is to make sure you're ready to meet Christ and the Father in heaven, okay? So if you can use that imagery for a moment as I explain the next few slides here. The gate is the entrance into the sanctuary, and there's something about coming through that gate that's preparing you to be face-to-face -face with God. But right now, your sin is separating you from God. So God has to separate sin. Remember, God loves man, but He hates the sin. So he's got to separate the sin from man so man can be back in his presence again. It's really not that hard to see what God is really trying to do. God loves us. He made us. He knows exactly what we need. We can trust him to do in our lives what he needs to do to make sure we're in the kingdom. But you've got to be willing for him to do the work in your heart. The gate is the, is the, is the first one. Then you find a door before you go into the holy place. Then you find another door, which is called the veil, before you get into the most holy place. So we were separated by, from God because of our sins by those three doors or those three veils. And God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, now they set into motion a plan to bring you back through each one of them to eventually put you right back where we were supposed to be in the first place. Okay. Now, we looked at a, at a cross that was at the entrance of the sanctuary earlier today. In that cross, we examined Jesus leaving heaven and staying on that path. Now, that, um, that cross there um, with the shadow of it would cut, touch every piece of furniture. Now, if you weren't in, in the earlier um, lesson, I probably went too fast. So I'm going to back up for just a second, okay? At the east gate, if you would set a cross there at the entrance of the sanctuary, and the sun would come up in the east, and it would hit that cross and cast a shadow upon the, on the ground. That shadow touches every piece of furniture in the sanctuary. Jesus leaves heaven and follows that black line here to this earth. We need to take and follow that black line back to heaven. In other words, when you're looking at that black line, do you notice it goes right through the altar of sacrifice? If you bypass that piece of furniture, you're not on the path back to God. If you go through the altar of sacrifice and you bypass the next piece of furniture, you're still not on the path. If you bypass both pieces of furniture and you come in some other way and go directly into the, 
The sanctuary, where you find the, the bread representing the word of God and the prayers represented by the, um, the prayer altar there, the altar of incense, and dealing with those things inside of there, you're not on the path. You've skipped work that needs to happen in your life to prepare you for this particular room. So having said that, now let's go on, okay? So where we want to end up is going to be back in God's presence. So we're going to stay on that line. We're not going to go around any piece of furniture. We're going to go right through every single one of them. Okay? Now, back to the um, Psalm 77, 13. This particular one is a verse that says, God's way is in the sanctuary. That's in the Old Testament. Many people don't want to listen to the Old Testament. So they want to say, well, let's see what the New Testament says. There has to be a New Testament verse that says the same thing as this one here does. Now, Jesus is about to go to heaven. And he's talking to the disciples. And he says, I'm going to the Father. And the disciples ask Jesus, well, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way, right? That's when John 14, verse 6 comes in where Jesus says, um, next slide. Um, Jesus says, I am the way. Okay? And then he goes on to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the... Now we're going to break it down into, those, into the three doors, okay? I am the way. The gate is the only way into the sanctuary. I am the way, Jesus says, and he goes on to say, um, I am the life. But before that, look at Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. This is one of my favorite verses because so many times I want to do something differently because the way I think God wants me to go. But listen what it says in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And so... In all of his ways, we want to acknowledge him. And we know in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, it says, And thine ear shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye shall turn to the, to the right hand, and when ye shall turn to the left hand. That's the relationship we need to have with God. That's hard. Because we're independent people. We want to do it our way, but God's to be a part of what we want to do, Right? But the problem is, God is supposed to be the first, and we're supposed to let God direct our paths. But Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, now, you want to know how to go to the Father? He says, well, I am the way, he says. He goes, I am the way, and he says, I am the truth. Now, the next door of the sanctuary, the next um, um, one we got to go through would be the door moving into where we find the holy place, where we find bread. Now, bread is the symbol of the word of God. In fact, Matthew chapter 4, 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So bread isn't just a symbol of Christ. It's the symbol of the word of God. And you'll notice in John 17, verse 17, is sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the door of truth is going, you're going into the holy place where you find the word of God where the truth is. And so we have the way in, that's Jesus. I am the way and I am the truth. And he also says, I am the life. You cannot go through the next piece of furniture, um, the, the next um, um, door without being in the presence of God. In the presence of God is where you find eternal life. 
So Jesus basically told the disciples, go to the sanctuary, that's how you find me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, go back to the sanctuary. The Israelites understood a little bit more about the sanctuary and the meaning of it than you and I do today. Because this was a part of their life. They would go and they would do this killing of the lamb. All of this was a part of their whole life. And yet you and I are living in the time where we don't kill the lambs. So the idea of going to the sanctuary might seem foreign to us. So we know we're not going to kill lambs anymore. That's already happened. So what is it about the sanctuary that I need to understand so that I can have this um, happen in my life where I am made back into God's image so I can be in His presence again? Do you know what it says in Matthew chapter 7, 13 and verse 14? It says, enter ye in at the straight gate. This is another sanctuary term. The gate is there at the entrance. Now listen to how it says. Enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. There's a gate that's broad and wide. And there's many that go in thereat. But that gate leads to destruction. And it goes on to say, in verse 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. That should bother every one of you here listening to me tonight. Why is it that so many people go on the broad road, and so many people, so few people go on the narrow path? The narrow path requires you to enter in through the gate and find yourself at the altar of sacrifice. The narrow gate requires you to move through the labor as you move into the presence of God where the Word of God is. You see, so often... Now, oh, by the way, do you recognize that this path... The broad way and the narrow way, these are people who say they're Christians. This is not the world who doesn't care about God. This is a quotation for you and I to ask yourself, wait a minute, I am on the path. I say I'm on the path. The question is, am I on the narrow one or the broad one? This should be your question. God says His ways in the sanctuary. So you need to examine your life through the emblems of the sanctuary. What does it represent? What are these things designed to teach me about my path back to God? Moving on, there is a way in Proverbs 16, 25 that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Nobody's going to go on a path that they know that the end of the path is going to be death. They're not going to want to take that road. So we've got to figure out somehow how to get everybody off the broad road and get them focused in on the narrow path. Okay, again, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. We're going to skip that one. Now Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So here we have another uh, text that gives me some imagery of the sanctuary. You remember the time when Cain and Abel were at the, garden of, the door of the Garden of Eden. You find this in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. You find that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, but Abel brought the lamb. God told him to bring the lamb, not to bring the fruit of the ground. 
God says, bring this, not to bring that. This was a symbol of me. This was not going to be the symbol. This is what you do so that you should, can see what I am going to do for mankind and for you. Cain decided that he would do it his own way. We do that today in our walk with God. That's how we get on the broad road. God says, do it one way. We make an excuse and say, wait a minute, that was for somebody way back then, and that's the reason why God did that. Was and we make the excuse so that we can do something just a tad bit different. We turn ourselves away from God. The sanctuary teaches us to stay focused. John chapter 10, verse 1 goes on to say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth in some other way, is the thief and the robber. Bypassing the work of the courtyard, going around those pieces of the furniture, and moving into the sanctuary and going right into the holy place where you find the word of God, bypassing what the courtyard represents in your life, you're following the thief and the robber. Jesus says he is the door of that sheepfold. This is all found in John chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Now in Psalms 100, is a probably uh, popular verse, most of you will know it. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. There's the gate of the sanctuary and the courtyard is right there, and into his courts with praise. But what would be the purpose of entering his gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise? The story was the young man was way, way, way out there. He had sinned against Father in heaven. He's brought back in and someone took his place and died. The lamb was to take the place of the sinner. Christ was to take the place of man. So entering into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, was, a, was something given to us because we are to make sure that we understand the value of what Christ has done. It is a gift from God, and it's a joyous gift. We have messed up. You remember King David in Psalms chapter 73? It says that he basically saw the foolish and how they were prospering. Okay? And you'll notice, and uh, he says in, start, in verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And he goes on to say, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. And wash my hands in innocency. So in other words, I am going through all of this motion for nothing. I'm walking on the straight and narrow path. And these people are on the broad road and they're being blessed. David is seeing this and, he's, and, he's, and this is bothering him. When I thought, this is verse 16, to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. So he goes into the sanctuary, then I understood their end. So yes, the foolish seemed to be prospering. But when he went into the sanctuary, he saw the service of the sanctuary, and as he looked at what everything represented, he says, now I see their end will be death. And you'll notice that the way the sanctuary is set up, um, as you come in, there would have been a pile of ashes set right there in front of of the gate, I mean, right there in front of the altar of sacrifice, right between the gate and the altar of sacrifice. That pile of ashes was a representation of the sins that was destroyed. And so David would see that's the end result of sin. 
Now, Psalms 103, verse 12, gives me some imagery of that particular um, pile of ashes. It's on the east side of the sanctuary, and God is on the west end, okay? As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgression from us. It's a sanctuary term. The separation has been made between God and man. And you'll notice that there's another verse here in Malachi chapter um, 7, verse 19. And it gives us another illustration of what's going to happen to sin. He says, He will turn again and He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and Thou will cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. What I'm trying to say is this. Sin is not something we need to live with. Sin is something God is willing to take out of our lives. He says, I'm going to cast it in the depths of the sea. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 21. And he says, this is when he sees a new heavens and a new earth. And he says, and I saw the new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more. Do you see what's happening? God is telling you. He's going to bury your sin in the depths of the sea. There's no worry about someone diving down in heaven in the depths of the sea, going down to the bottom, grabbing your sin, bringing it back up and saying, look what you used to do. God is going to separate your sin as far as the east is from the west. If you look at just this, this earth and you think of east to west, how far can you go east before you are going west? You see, that's a long way to have your sins separated from you, is it not? This is a beautiful message, the separating man from sin. But it says in Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso for, um, confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The most holy place, mercy seat. You see, you and I, we don't want to hide our sins from God. You see, it's between you and God. You can take those things to God and God is going to take them away from you. You don't have to do anything except confess your sin. Now, He may lead you to say you're for... You may have to deal with other people that you've wronged. Yes, that's a given. If you've hurt somebody, you've got to take care of that. But what I'm trying to say is God's going to fix the problem that sin left upon your life. The stain of sin was going to cause you death. God is going to take that part away. The result of sin you may have to live with all your life but you are forgiven for your sin. So when you confess your sin, move on. Don't let Satan keep dragging that sin in front of your face again. And if somebody has wronged you, stop bringing that sin up in their face again. If you've forgiven them, let it go. God's letting yours go. Let theirs go as well. Sin is not something we need to hang on to. In fact, and so you do know, the sanctuary teaches that if you could not afford to bring your offering, you were allowed to bring a lesser offering, which was called the turtle doves. You find in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 7. And if you could not afford even the turtle doves, you could bring a handful of flour. So what I'm trying to share with you is this. If you could not afford any of those things, you could bring flour, but you could not find flour in the wilderness. You had to come out of your tents. When God gave the manna from heaven, the 
The grain from heaven would be your flower. There's no way God does not want you in the kingdom. He wants you there. He set things into motion, but if you can't even afford that, hey, I'm giving you the grain that you need, but go to the sanctuary. Confess your sin. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing you're going to do to be right with God. But you do need to select a lamb, and it's Jesus. And you do need to bring that lamb and ask for forgiveness. And that's the representation of the lamb up on the north side. So you ask, when you pray to the Father in heaven, you have a lamb. It's Jesus. When your sin's confessed, it is blotted out. Jesus died so that sin can be blotted out. The job that you did as the sinner, you'd put your hands on the lamb. The sin you have as you confessed it would leave you and now enter into the lamb symbolically. Now the sin was in the lamb and you, the sinner, would cut the lamb's throat. The priest would catch the blood in the bowl. As the lamb dies for you, after the lamb has died, you would take the lamb and you would take the lamb and cut it open. And you would reach in and grab the vital organ, the filtering organ, and you would bring it out in the fat and you would hand it over to the priest. You see what's happened? Confessing your sin is confessing the sin. See, the imagery was, could have been easily the lamb was killed and they walked away. But the story went on to describe the sinner reaching and grabbing the filtering organs out. Because that's the symbol of what you and I are to do. We are to take our sin. Which sin are we asking God to forgive us for? That is the imagery that God wants to give us. Yes, as a child, we pray, bless the missionaries around the world and forgive us all our sins and jump in bed. But as we're a little older now, we need to talk to God about what that particular sin might be. And we give it to the priest. And the priest now does everything else. There's nothing more for you to do. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's a warning for me and a warning for you. You see, our hearts, we don't even know our own hearts. We have to be careful. You see, the imagery of the sanctuary is that you are a sanctuary too. Yes, we have that sanctuary that God's out in heaven. We have the one that Moses built. But we are also a, a symbol of the sanctuary. And he says that you're the place where God lives. Picture God in your heart. It says also in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
So I want you now to visualize the Holy Ghost being in your heart. And it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that you are the place where Jesus dwells. So I want you to picture Jesus in your heart. Did you notice in the Ark of the Covenant, there's three items in the Ark of the Covenant. Each item represents one of the three we just described. The law of God is a representation of God. The manna represents Jesus. He was the manna that came down from heaven. The Holy Spirit is the representation of the rod because the rod was given to Aaron after they argued over who was to be the leader and God chose Aaron to be the spiritual leader. Each one of us has all three in our hearts, but there's no room for number four. If we are to give God our whole heart, that means we have to give Him all of it. But don't worry. God loves you. Don't worry. He wants the best for you. And you know what? He created you. He made you the way you are, the, the, the characteristics you have. He knows what you need, and He'll take good care of you. So if you just give Him your heart and let Him use you here upon this earth, remember, Satan wants you to forget about the sanctuary. He doesn't want you to listen to God's ways in the sanctuary. We just briefly now have touched on Jesus' walk through the sanctuary and how we are to walk through the sanctuary. There are many things about each piece of furniture we have not even discussed. And there's no way we have the time to do that tonight. But I want to end with this last thought. Because I want you to walk away knowing that you are the house for God. And that you are the one God wants to have in the kingdom. And that you are the place where he dwells now if you allow him to do so. It says here in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. So when you hear God saying and you do him, he's going to uh, liken you into a wise man that builds his house upon the rock. You're the house. Builds his house upon the rock. Okay, you're the house for God. Okay, then it says, and then the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew. We know that God's people upon this earth one day is going to go through a time of trouble such as never was, according to the scriptures. The winds are going to blow upon this house and your house. But once it's founded upon the rock, by understanding the words of God and doing them, we're building our house upon the rock. And when all of this takes place, the house will not fall because it's upon the rock. But it goes on to say, everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. This is a hard saying, they might say. How can I do this? I really want to do this. God says, walk upright. And you walk according to your own lusts and your own desires. That's the foolish man. He's not listening to the sayings of God and doing them. Therefore, he's not going to be ready when that storm comes.
Because now he has built his house upon the sand. And when the winds come, and the winds blow upon that house, you're going to find out that it falls, and great will be the fall of it. Brothers and sisters, if you can just, in the two simple lessons that I went through today, understand No, you didn't get everything you needed to know about the sanctuary in the two short periods we had together. But I hope you understood that there's enough verses pointing to the sanctuary that you should study it out for yourself. You should make sure you understand what does it mean that when I walk into the and through the gate and I come to the altar of sacrifice and I'm going to walk through that altar of sacrifice, what does that mean in my life today? Because that's the narrow path. The narrow path are those who allow the work of these pieces of furniture in the courtyard to do their work in their life while Christ and the Father in heaven doing the work in the heavenly sanctuary. I pray that each one of us will be the ones that hear the words of God and we do the words of God. Not because we have to, but because we love to do the will of our Father. Let us pray. Our loving Father, there's so much, Father, that we have not said. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you will take the words that were spoken today and you will use those words. And please, if they were words that I have put together that was not right, change them in the ears of the hearers. But use the words, Father, to reach the hearts, to show the love that you have for each person here. There's not a sin that anyone has in this room tonight that you will not forgive and bring them back. So, I, Father, I pray, Lord, that each person here will find the desire to come back to you. And now we need to start that long walk, getting on that path, walking through each piece of furniture of the sanctuary as we're on the path that leads to you. Let this be something that we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to throw in a commercial um, before, as we're closing here, um, tomorrow night um, I will be speaking again. I believe it's here. And um, I just went through some things dealing with the pathway, dealing with the sanctuary. I'm going to use another illustration to do the same illustration, but in a different way. I'm going to show the seven feasts that God gave Israel. I'm going to show you how those feasts all pointed forward to the walk that Christ came as well. And how um, those feasts today are are just like the sanctuary um, that we have today. How they are to be seen and viewed by God's people today. God bless. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.